school system in a rather large city had a program where they sent teachers into local hospitals of uh, there where children uh, were in the hospital for an extended stay. And what, what the basic program was is they didn't want these children, though they were hospitalized, to get behind in their schoolwork. And so they had several teachers that that's what they did. They went to the uh, main teacher and got homework and lessons, and that they would go to these hospitals throughout the city and teach these children while they were hospitalized for uh, illnesses where they were in the hospital for long periods of time. And this particular uh, teacher in this program was assigned to visit this particular child who had been in the hospital for several weeks. She took the child's name and room number and did what she normally did. She talked to the child's regular class teacher, and the teacher said, we're studying nouns and adverbs at this time. And, and she said, I'd be grateful if you could help him to understand so that he doesn't fall too far behind. Well, the hospital program teacher went to see this boy. She had not gotten any information about why he was in the hospital or his condition. It was just that this child's in the hospital, he's going to be in the hospital for an extended period of time, and we need to start this program. Well, she walked in to this child's hospital room to find a child that had been severely burned and was in constant pain. She was shocked. She was upset. And she really, in the back of her mind, said, why in the world would the school system send me to this child's room to try to teach this child something when he's in so much pain? And she almost got angry. But she did her job. She stammered her way through the lessons. She told the little boy, I've been sent here by your school to help you with nouns and adverbs. She went through a few lessons. She walked out of the room and felt like an utter failure. And she also, in the back of her mind, had this idea of why in the world was I sent to this room? Well, she went and spoke to her superiors, and her superiors said, well, the parents called and requested that someone come. And so she said, all right, well, I'll go back. And so as she returned the next day, as she was walking in the hallway, a nurse approached her and said this, what did you do to that boy? Well, with the feelings that she had the previous day of, of being, of not accomplishing anything and of being a failure, she thought she must have done something wrong and she began to apologize and try to explain to this nurse the program and how she had not been at all told his condition. But the nurse said, no, no, hold on. You don't understand what I mean. She said, we've been worried about this little boy, but ever since yesterday, his whole attitude 
has changed. He is fighting. He's responding to treatment. And now it looks as if he has decided not to give up, but to live. Well, two weeks later, the little boy explained that he had completely given up hope until that teacher arrived. Everything changed when he came to the simple realization, and he expressed it this way, they wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns and adverbs with a dying child, would they? And here's the thing that you and I have to realize. That God the Father would not send His one and only Son to this earth to suffer and die and yet be resurrected if there was no hope for us. If there was no hope for us. The story of Easter and the story of the resurrection answers the question of hope for all of us. The resurrection of Jesus is hope fulfilled from prophecies in the Old Testament to the personal significance for all who surrender their lives to Christ. The resurrection is our story of hope. Witnesses. Confirm the resurrection as a demonstration. A demonstration of the power of God. And it is this same power that can bring salvation, that can bring hope to all who commit their lives to Jesus Christ. The resurrection is going to be our focus in the message today. I, I think it is so appropriate that we have already been able to experience and celebrate a baptism during this service. Realizing that that is the symbolic memorial offered to Jesus Christ because of His resurrection. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, I want us to look at the first ten verses in Matthew chapter 28. This is... This is an Easter message, but, but I think we should have Easter all year long, by the way. Any message that doesn't talk about Jesus and His life, His death, His resurrection is really not a message. So let's look at Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his robe was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken from fear of him that they became like dead men. But the angel told the woman, Do not be afraid, because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, 
For he has been resurrected just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. And so departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell the disciples the news. Jesus then, excuse me, just then, Jesus met them and said, Good morning. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. One of the lighter moments, Benjamin Franklin actually penned his own epitaph. He didn't profess to be born, a born-again Christian. There's, there's many who say he didn't even believe in God, but, but it seems that he must have been influenced by the Apostle Paul's teaching on the resurrection of the body. And here's what he wrote. The body of B. Franklin, printer like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out, The script of its lettering gone lies here. Food for worms, but the work shall not be wholly lost. For it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more perfect edition, corrected and amended by the author. As we examine the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we must remember that it's His resurrection that is the model for the resurrection of those who have placed their full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We, those who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have placed their full faith and trust in Him, will be resurrected to live for eternity with Jesus Christ at His second coming. We can be uh, resurrected only because He was resurrected. The rest of our time I want to point to four truths. Four truths concerning the resurrection. And as I mentioned before we began this series of, of messages on the life and ministry of Jesus, that this was a, a back to school moment for us. This is a foundational series. This is a foundational message that brings us to the forefront of the most important event that has happened in the history of time. Jesus' resurrection. So I want us to look at four foundational truths. The first truth is this. It was prophesied in Scripture. The resurrection of Jesus Christ wasn't something that just happened. It was prophesied in Scripture. I don't know about you, but I was, uh, I am, I guess, the, the youngest brother in a family. I have two older brothers and I have a, a, a younger sister. But for six years, I was the baby. And, uh, and I have two older brothers that beat me to a pulp. You would think that their baby brother they would take care of, but no, I was always the odd man out. 
And there were times when my mother would tell my brothers, one day he's going to be big enough and mean enough and get mad enough and he's going to get you. Well, I'm now big enough and mean enough to get them, but I love them. They're my brothers, so I don't hold that stuff against them. But one thing that did happen in my life was I learned how to find myself an object that could level the playing field. And so, there was a particular day where I went outside and my two brothers and their friends were wanting to damage some property, so they took a couple of my Tonka trucks and they were beating them to a pulp. I don't know why, I guess they just wanted to, to mess something up. Well, I came outside and I said, what's going on? Why are y'all beating on my Tonka trucks? Well, you haven't played with them for years. Well, that doesn't matter, they're mine. And I was so mad. And one of the neighbors saw how mad I was and he set down the baseball bat that he was using to beat up my Tonka truck. And I picked that baseball bat up and my brother started running. <laughs> and I slung it like a frisbee. Hit the back of my oldest brother and he went down. He went down. Well, you know what happened then, right? I turned and ran to mama. <laughs> and those boys came back and told my mom what I did. And you know what she said? Come on, somebody tell me. I told you so. Right? I told you so. There's something in us, and I think, in a sense, sometimes it's the sinful nature that loves to say, I told you so. Folks, in this passage of Scripture that I just read, we find the great I told you so of Scripture. Look at verse 6. Verse 6. The angel said, He is not here, for He has been resurrected. What? Just as He said. I told you so. All the world thought Jesus was done for. All the world thought they had rid themselves of this man who claimed to be the Son of God. And the angel said, I told you so. He predicted. Jesus predicted. If you, if you look back from the resurrection even to the Psalms, we can see and understand what David meant when he wrote in Psalm 16.10, For you will not abandon me. You will not allow your faithful one to see decay. Yes, Jesus suffered. Yes, Jesus was crucified. But He was resurrected on the third day. Scripture Points to that. Two weeks ago I showed you a 14-page list of Old Testament prophecies concerning Jesus. And, and those prophecies pointed to everything from Jesus' heritage to His bodily resurrection on that first Easter morning. 
Jesus even Himself spoke of His resurrection when He said in John 2.19, Destroy this sanctuary and I will raise it up in three days. Now, when He said that, it wasn't a bit of a controversy. Controversy because the people assumed that He was boasting that He could rebuild the temple in three days. But no, He was referring to His bodily resurrection. And, and in John's Gospel, John points out in chapter 2 that, that after the resurrections, the disciples remembered this passage. They remembered that Jesus had said He would rebuild the sanctuary, His sanctuary, His temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit. In today's culture, there is an unfortunate, uh, I guess, association with prophecy. The commercialization of prophecy has watered down the subject in contemporary life. I remember as a child going to the local Piggly Wiggly with my mom. And uh, as we would go through the, the uh, aisle there to check out, they had all the, the juicy magazines, you know, the ones talking about this is going to happen in the future and all this. And, and, and you could go by and you could see, and, and these magazines were talking about people that were predicting the future. They were, they were mixing a little bit of the Bible with their crazy thoughts and ideas just trying to sell a paper, a magazine. It has gotten to the point that when you try to speak about biblical prophecy that, that people don't listen because there's so much noise out there about it. Folks, I think we have to try to block out that noise. I think we've got to try to focus on what God's Word says. And I believe that if we take an honest and biblical evaluation of the concept of prophecy concerning the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then we will come to a great and glorious conclusion. Although there's a lot of pop culture that talks about prophecy and the second coming of Christ, there are a lot of folks that, that make fun of the idea that Jesus will come again and there will be this resurrection of the body. If you looked at the scholarly evidence surrounding the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you looked and saw this evidence, you would see that it is drastic. It is overwhelming. And it is convincing to the neutral observer. Jesus' resurrection, in a sense, is, is confirmed to us by the prophecies in Scripture. And we cannot take that for granted. The second truth is this. It was a demonstration of God's power. It was a demonstration of God's power. God is omnipotent. His 
power extends from creation to resurrection. Isaiah spoke of a time when God would swallow up death forever. That takes power. Isaiah 25, 8, He swallowed up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And then, in Revelation, John recorded that about that same time when God would overcome all tears of sorrow and Revelation 21, 4, and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And folks, it takes the power of God to eliminate pain, to eliminate death. The Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, it's a, quite a lengthy passage, but I think it's so important for us to, to look at. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And then Paul ends it by writing, The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, we can't forget in our passage, our focal passage, in Matthew 28, verse 6, the angel says, He's not here. He's not here. For He has been resurrected. Folks, there can't be, in my mind, any doubt that God has the ability to bring life from death. And He also has the ability to bring salvation from sin. Life out of death. <coughs> salvation from sin. It was May 1990. The place was Moscow's Red Square. And this is the conversation that took place. Is it straight, Father? One Orthodox priest asked another, shifting the heavy eight-foot crucifix on his shoulders. Yes, said the other, it is straight. Together, the two priests, along with a group of parishioners holding ropes that steadied the beams of this huge cross, they walked the parade route. Before them, 
was the official, all the might of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. You see, the, the usual May Day procession was tanks, missiles, troops, and salutes to the Communist Party elite. But behind those tanks surged a dry, giant crowd of protesters shouting, Mikhail Gorbachev, bread, freedom, truth. And as this throng of protesters passed directly in front of the Soviet leader standing in his place of honor, the priests hoisted their heavy burden toward the sky. And the cross emerged from the crowd. And as it did, the figure of Jesus Christ obscured the giant posters of faces of Karl Marx, Frederick Engels, and Vladimir Lenin that provided the backdrop for Gorbachev's reviewing stand. What a day it was. What a day it was. One of the priests shouted, Mikhail Gorbachev, Christ is risen. Mikhail Gorbachev, Christ is risen. Now remember, as a school-aged child being fearful of a nuclear war between the United States and the Soviet Union, I can remember seeing images of these Mayday parades with all the tanks and troops passing by. The power of the USSR at its strongest point in history was a magnificent power. The, the power of the British Empire in the day when the sun never set on the British Empire was powerful. We live in one of the most powerful countries that has ever existed. If you look at history, the Persians, the Persian Empire was powerful. The, the Roman Empire was so powerful during Jesus' day. But folks, none have the power of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. None. There's no kingdom on this earth that can even ever come close to having the power of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is interesting to me that Jesus started His earthly ministry by simply using the power of God to turn water to wine. And the culmination was that He raised Himself from the dead. He raised Himself from the dead. The resurrection was a demonstration of God's power. The next truth, it was confirmed by witnesses. It was confirmed by witnesses. You see, a, a court of law requires cooperation of testimony. What proof exists of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? First off, the testimony of the angel. The angel testified that Jesus was resurrected. Then we have the testimony of these women, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Verses 8 and 10 of Romans, um, excuse me, of Matthew 28. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them. 
and said, Good morning. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. So the angel was a witness. These ladies, these women, were witnesses. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 records witnesses of others, including himself and, listen, and another 500 brothers, 1 Corinthians 15, 4 through 6, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Witnesses. There were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Folks, whether you believe it or not, you and I are also witnesses. We are witnesses in that we are followers of Christ and we can testify that He lives, as that hymn says, within our hearts. And folks, that's a testimony. It was prophesied in Scripture. It was a demonstration of God's power. It was confirmed by witnesses the last truth. The last truth, and then I'll finish. It has personal significance. It has personal significance. You know, in school, why are we taught history? And some people say, because we don't want to necessarily let history repeat itself. But not all history is bad history. Why are we taught history? We're taught history to show the significance of it in our lives. In our present lives. That's why we're taught history. And that's an important truth regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has personal significance to us. To Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, Jesus said, do not be afraid. Those were the words He said, do not be afraid. Those were words of comfort. And they apply to all who are afraid of death. Jesus, who was found and is alive forevermore, conquered death for every child of God. And folks, that has enormous significance. Enormous significance. The, the reality that Jesus conquered death. He conquered spiritual death, which is eternal separation from God. He took the sting out of our physical death because of His resurrection, we also will share in that resurrection. In that our lives will not be in vain. In that we can have hope and we don't have to be hopeless like the rest of the world that lives as if there's nothing else but this world to those who have sorrow in their hearts for loved ones gone. God promises a time when, when tears and crying are no more. Because Jesus conquered death with His life, we no longer have to consider death 
an eternal time of separation because the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has personal significance to those who follow Jesus. The resurrection is not just what we celebrate at Easter. The resurrection of Jesus offers hope to everyone. Some years ago, there was a submarine that sank and as the divers went down to survey the situation, they could hear the faint sounds of tapping coming from inside of this submarine. The divers quickly realized it was actually Morse code. And when they relayed the message to the coders on the ship that they were from, the message was this, over and over again, for simple words. Is there any hope? Is there any hope? Is there any hope? I don't think I have to tell you that we live in a world gone mad. It's crazy. Sometimes I just have to turn the television off. We live in a world gone mad. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I can tell you the answer to those individuals in that submarine. Is there any hope? Yes. Yes. Yes, there's hope. And it's all because the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in you. We thank you for sending your one and only Son to this earth to live a perfect life, to suffer and die on a criminal's cross, but all of that happened so that he could be raised on the third day. And he could conquer death and give us victory. Lord, there are many of us that get discouraged, that get frustrated. That, Lord, we lose sight of the fact that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We lose sight of the fact that you are still on the throne. And it's my hope and prayer that as a result of looking at your holy word and examining the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we will allow these truths from your word to change us, to give us hope, to give us peace, to give us direction, to give us guidance. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for doing what you have done and for being who you are. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.